Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, today I wanted to talk about essentially conditions and how it applies to unconditional love as we see it here in society and the way that it's meant by the church. Uh, because unconditional love is something that's articulated a lot in various different ways, especially when we talk about the way that God loves us. So I wanted to start by talking about the way that I view conditions in the way that um, they are in my head, because maybe I have some preconceived notions that are correct or maybe incorrect, but I think they're probably the common ways that people think of conditions when placed upon relationships, placed upon feelings, interactions with each other, and stuff like that. So let's start with like the most basic, simplistic one I can think of, which is essentially the employee-employer relationship. It's conditional that I will keep coming to work as long as you keep paying me, and you're going to keep paying me to come to work as long as I do what I'm supposed to do as an employee. So very basic kind of transactional type thing. You can also look at it as a consumer. I'll give you five bucks. You give me this product. You know, that type of conditions, transactional conditions. And I look at those as like, okay, there's a place in society for that. That makes sense. You know, I expect this, that, or the other out of my employees, out of the products I'm buying. I want to make sure, you know, that they're actually going to do what they're saying. The meat's not spoiled and I'm not going to get sick and all that stuff. So it makes sense why society has those types of conditions within it. Um, I use that as the framework starting point because as we move into other relationships, more interpersonal relationships, the way that we work with each other kind of has some of these pre-built notions into it. You know, we're going to be friends with each other because we treat each other the way we want to be treated. And each relationship might have a little different way that is. You know, I treat my dad differently than I treat, you know, like my best friend. And I think that those types of expectations are expected. You know, they're, they're kind of reasonable for society. You know, I can't go out and tackle my son the same way I would tackle my brother when we were at football. You know, it just wouldn't work. So I bring that up because in a sense, all of those examples are conditions, exceptions, expectations, whatever the appropriate word is on relationships that we put with each other. And they're all kind of viewed as normal, if not necessary. So where I want to take this conversation is if these conditions are expected, what does the concept of unconditional love actually mean? Because to take that to the next step, well, let's start there and then then, then get some groundwork laid. Yeah, no, that's great, Joe. I really, uh, this is an example of uh, the value of our conversation because you come from a perspective that I think is uh, very relatable to people and the language you, that you use is, uh, you know, 21st century American. And uh, so that's, uh, and you're, and you're very thoughtful and you're paying attention to the things around you and you're finding a way to express that. And uh, I live in a monastery and I live in the language of the church and uh, some of these things. So it's nice to kind of piece that together. I really appreciate that. Um and I think I think the way that this would fit together is when you're talking about conditions and contracts, we usually think about that under the virtue of justice. So justice, uh, in our you know Catholic understanding, simply said is to give to each according to his due. 
So we give according to what the person, to what we owe. And we establish those sorts of expectations, what we owe to one person as opposed to another. And so like what you described about an employer and employee, they enter into a contract and the foundation for their interactions is a justice mutually agreed upon in freedom. And then they bind themselves to uh, live out their part of that, the employer to work, the employee to, or the employer to pay, the employee to work, and other things as well. I mean, the employer to treat the employee in certain ways. And you know, we have literally have contracts uh, for employment that indicate what the terms of the contract are. And living those out, being faithful to those is in the matter of is a matter of justice. And that's what we call the virtue uh, associated with that behavior. Uh, is again justice. Now, some of that is established by convention according to positive law. Some of it is uh, expected and uh, would be part of, of natural law. So you wouldn't put in a contract normally things like, you know, the employer is not going to scream and yell at the employee and uh, shame them and um, force them to do whatever. Uh, their work or something like that, or the employer isn't going to, you know, there's some things we expect under natural law. You're going to behave like a human being and you're going to treat the other person with the rights of a human being. So we have a sense of, of natural rights, of human rights that would accord in every situation. And so in terms of, of, of justice and rights giving to each according to his due, when we have a particular relationship governed by a certain contract, whether it's spelled out explicitly or um, in the case of, uh, oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, we have so many things that are really spelled out explicitly these days. Uh, right. But, you know, the way that we might behave towards a neighbor or, you know, sometimes there are property laws, but we sort of like, you know, understand whatever. If the baseball goes over, you're going to get the baseball from the other person's yard. And, you know, we have a number of things that are sort of floating implicit agreements that break down when things become uh, aggressive and argumentative and when trust is damaged and people want to lawyer up and, and fight it from a, a legal perspective. So, uh, but normally we have things either spelled out or they're, they're somewhat implicit. And then you mentioned also some kinds of uh, cultural adaptations that uh, we have a certain well, there's certain levels of trust in our own family. We're really going beyond justice at that point. So we can think of just basic justice as the kind of thing, you know, I'm going to go into a store. I'm going to give you money. You're going to give me the product. You're not going to yell at me when I come into the store. I'm not going to yell at you when I am there, or when I leave, you know, or whatever. I'm, uh, I'm not going to break things. I'm not going to do, you know, there's a number of just basic things about basic human interactions where we respect each other and we, we uh, give to each according to what they're due. And then there are certain ways we go beyond that. I think we could say something like, I have the right to my private space, and that's a matter of justice. Um, but in certain relationships, I, I uh, extend that right or I relax that right because I trust the person. And now we're really going beyond justice into the realm of charity, where trust is involved, a different kind of trust. And I'm, I'm opening myself, you know. And so when we have two friends who are doing a business deal, we might trust each other. And so before we sign contracts, or maybe even without signing contracts, you go over and you work on your friend's house and you do it for free, or 
you know, there's a deal. He's going to pay you a couple beers and you're going to hang out. He's going to help you a certain amount. We do these kinds of flexible things when when we move into the realm of charity and trust in relationships. And we're not just meeting the, the, the minimum standard of justice. Now, charity and trust don't make it right to be unjust. So that's a presuming justice. Charity is always presuming justice. And then going beyond it with uh, a flexibility, a relaxation of justice for the the sake of charity, for uh, making a gift to the other. So I think that covered uh, more or less what you were aiming at there. Yeah, certainly. It definitely started the starting point there. And I'm really glad I stopped because the second part is is building upon what you just said there. And, And this when we talk about starting with our relationships with others. But they're all, as I've kind of advertised Father and Joe, it's all kind of under the relationship that we have with God. And the way that it's articulated through the Bible, looking at it, starting with the Old Testament, um, at least the way I see it, the pivotal moment of the Old Testament is when Moses comes down with the commandments. And in those, you, I kind of look at it as those are the conditions in which you're supposed to live. The first three being about your relationship with God, and then the other seven, your relationship with others. But as you said, that 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 to me flows with the answer you just gave me. It starts with this justice-based relationship that we need to have basics. And then as we can grow into trust, almost using your example as the relationship that he has with the nation of Israel, just as over a millennium instead of over the time span that we have in a lifetime, but how we get to the ultimate form of charity in Jesus. Is that me trying to force something into a wrong hole or is that the message you're supposed to receive in this context? Yeah, so God reveals in terms of uh, how some of that is developed from the Ten Commandments, which are really accessible to everyone. They're just made explicit again to Israel. And so when we talk about the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, the one the one that's uh, up in the air is whether you'd know what day the Sabbath was. But really, uh, the, the proposal is anyway that Uh, And across history, we've seen it not perfectly in every culture, but across all cultures, we see a convergence on the Ten Commandments as something accessible to natural human reason when we're at our best. But Mm -hmm. God made that explicit with Israel, plus a whole additional dimension of God's self-revelation, his particular love for Israel, uh, a way that they could offer sacrifice and give thanks in return, and even a code that went... uh, a little beyond uh, justice in terms of caring for the the alien, the sojourner, the uh, the, the slaves, even. So uh, there's there's more there. Plus, God's uh, revelation, journeying with the people of Israel, revealing His name to them, and drawing them into a covenant that also had a promise and uh, rights of worship. And so, what He does with Israel is then going really beyond the kind of standard for the human race that we would establish through natural law. Again, essentially the Ten Commandments, God reveals more of himself to Israel and also asks more of Israel in in response. And so their covenant goes beyond the kind of basic contract, you might say, of God with the human race. And then that takes another step in God's further self-revelation. He makes himself even more vulnerable by sending his son who comes through Israel, the Blessed Virgin Mary, 
uh, and is uh, is obedient. Jesus is himself a Jew. He's a member of of the nation of Israel, and he uh, then extends a new and eternal covenant to us in his own blood. and And that has an additional. Now he's really giving us even more, and he's asking even more from us. He's he's calling us even further beyond uh, beyond justice into a greater and greater level of, of charity, even the perfection of charity, which he models for us in his own person. So I, I guess to ask that, to, to conclude that, that question, um, is based on everything you told me, the Ten Commandments, and this is where I want to start diving in, like what is unconditional love? The Ten Commandments are not placing conditions upon love. It's not that you become unworthy of love if you break one of the, the Ten Commandments, you know, you lied, so therefore you're not worthy of, of being loved or anything like that. It is much more than that. And that's kind of the part where I want to take the second half of this conversation to how does unconditional love apply first starting with the relationship with God and then becoming applicable in the way that that grace comes to us and our individual relationships? Yeah, so unconditional love again is is uh, presuming justice and then going far beyond it. Uh, it's a love that even when you fail to live up to your side of the agreement, I still love you. Even when you fall short of what you promised, I still love you. Uh, even when you have nothing to offer and we couldn't enter into a certain kind of contract, I still love you. That's uh, that's where unconditional love comes in, and that's what God realized reveals that He has for us now. That's discernible from the fact that we exist. Uh, God created us and we had nothing. We had no way to earn that because we didn't exist. God brought us out of nothing by his own gratuitous love. And he is committed to remaining with us, helping us to grow and uh, drawing us to live eternally with himself. Again, through no merit of our own, just because he loves us and he initiates that unconditional love for us. And then he's inviting our response. Uh, that that love, uh, having received, it's it's built into the structure of our being that love wants to respond to love, and so he's loving us into an unconditional response of love by initiating unconditional love with us, and so he starts the uh, the chain reaction, you might say, and then he helps each of those that he has revealed that love to that he has loved. Uh, to to love one another also unconditionally. Now again, that's a uh, well. Anyway, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stop there. I want to qualify that seven different ways, but uh, Fair it's, enough. it's 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 true what I said. So I'll leave it there. So so to take part of what you said there about how love wants to be with other love, um, I think that they we can naturally see that in a lot of different environments. Um, you know, people tend to hang out with people who are similar to them, not just because of similar interests, because obviously that is important. Doing similar things with each other is important, but also in this scale of, you know, I know I don't want to hang out with someone who does this type of behavior because I just don't want to have that to be part of my life. And kind of society puts themselves in these own little categories, niches, depending upon what world you're in, trying to communicate these groups. But on one sense, you know, there's people who just say, I don't want to be around anyone who ever drinks like at all. Like I I want to keep that completely out of my life and my family's life. And then they just hang out with other people like that. 
And on the other hand, there's people who literally go to a bar every day and just talk to each other all the time there. Now, that doesn't mean that that one group is is holier or more worthy of love than another. But it does mean that if you try to mix those two groups together, they're going to need to find a different comparison to get together. It's going to be like, we need to figure something else out here. And that's a normal thing in society. And, and I don't think that there's any way that we should try to change that because I don't think it's possible to change. I think that would be like trying to do something that's unnatural. But that's also a fact of life and that you have these two groups that found their own happiness within themselves, but wouldn't be compatible together. So I want to try, I don't know if I'm articulating that well or not, but that concept and how it applies within the realm of unconditional love in which we're all called to be in. Right. So we, we do have a, we do have what we might call like specialty groups. And, and we see that already in the family, of course, which is the building block of society. Uh, the individual is not the building block of society. The family is the building block of society. And so society is built on relationships, just as God himself is not individual. He is a communion of love, a relationship. Uh, you could say a family, although that would be uh, just by analogy. But anyway, um, the family is the building block of society. And of course, the family is already a nexus of relationships. And those are relationships primarily built on uh, unconditional love. So now there is a kind of rights and duties structure within families that, you know, for parents to bring children into the world, they commit to caring for them. And there's a whole series of things around that. Children likewise are are, are to repay their parents. And here we, we talk about a specialization of the virtue of justice. Um, we call it piety. And uh, it, it has, because a, a child can't, strictly speaking, repay the parents what they're due, because the parents have given the child life, which the, the child can never repay. The child can never give the parents life. Uh, so, uh, so it's a different, a little different structure, and we call that piety. It's a specialized version or a sub-virtue of the virtue of justice. And, the, and so that relationship of parents and children is built around a certain structure of, of rights and duties of justice. But then, you know, both are, are called, obviously, to move to a place of, of unconditional love, that parents don't just fulfill their duties, they love their children unconditionally, no matter what the children are capable of, or whether they return the love, or whether they go astray, or whether they do all kinds of things that a lot of parents experience based on what they're telling me. So um, we move toward unconditional love in those relationships. Likewise, children for parents, even when their parents uh, start to lose their mental faculties or when their parents are poor and unable to provide or or even uh, when their parents are are difficult in some way. Um, now, even uh, in the case where parents are abusive, we have to contextualize that a little bit. Uh, there can still be a love there, although sometimes the relationships require separation if if the uh, the relationships become destructive. That's a whole episode in itself. Anyway, um, so everything builds on the structure of the family. And then uh, from the position of the family, I relate to the world. So I relate to the world initially as the son of my father, as the son of my mother. So I already relate relationally then with the rest of the world. And we move from our uh, particular identity 
defined by our relationships in the family outward into relationships with everyone and every every everyone else and a similar kind of thing happens in groups so catholics for example relate to the rest of uh, the religions as catholics uh, or even within the catholic church that somebody's in the rosary altar society another person is you know a benedictine oblate and another person is a uh, uh, a sacristan or something like that, or they have their own groups. And those specialization groups that are not for everyone uh, are still part of what forms an identity. And that becomes the position from which we reach out to and interact with others. I interact with others as a member of this group. I interact within the group and then towards the outside world or outside the group, I interact as a member in the group. And that helps to establish my identity. So it's not a goal to eliminate all specialty groups or whatever. Uh, they actually help us to reach out. But it's also not a goal to limit our interactions to specialty groups. We are in a specialty group, and then we have an outward-facing posture towards the rest of the church, the rest of the world. And, and we relate better because we belong to a smaller group. We relate better with the, with the larger group. Until ultimately, you know, everybody becomes a family of families that in Christ, we have a universal family and, and we are all brothers and sisters and, and uh, we experience that closeness. That's what we're growing toward. And that's what heaven looks like. Beautiful. And, and that certainly made sense here. I, I want to continue this conversation here in the next episode um, as we're kind of drawing on time here. Um, but yeah, no, that, that certainly makes sense. We thank everyone out there for listening and sharing. Please continue to share us as we've been growing as a result of you. And we will be with you guys here next week.